Hi, I'm Katie Capps, co-founder and co-CEO of Higher Dose. And today on Hot Seat, I'm here with Piera Gilardi, who was co-founder of Refinery29, as well as Wild Things World. And today we're gonna be learning all about Piera uh, while we sweat it out in the sauna. All right. All right, ready to go? Oh yeah. So tell me about your career path. What were you doing before you started Refinery29? Well, my first career was in childcare. I worked as a babysitter from age 12 to 24 in Maine, where I grew up, and then in New York City. And um, then when I was in college, I mean, I did that through college. Mm -hmm. um, and also when I was in college, I was studying art, and um, I got interested in exploring what it might be like to work at a magazine. So I got an internship at this magazine called City that was a small magazine. And through that experience, I got, I, I kind of grew into becoming a photo director and mm -hmm. working on uh, the creative side of the magazine. I really enjoyed uh, that process of creating, you know, stories and visuals and, and content. And then when I was 24, I started Refinery29. Wow, 24, so 24. young. Yeah. What was that process like of getting it started? Well, it was so low stakes. I actually didn't even think it was really a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Always the best way to get into something. Well, yeah, it was um, at the time I was dating someone and he and his friend had the original idea for Refinery, which was to create this destination for independent brands and independent boutiques mm -hmm. to be able to tell their stories, to be able to show what they have, you know, the products that they were making, and to connect with community online. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time, the digital space was really, you know, emerging. Mm -hmm. um, like most brands didn't have a website, even even the big brands, if they did have a website, it was just basically a splash page with their campaign photography and a store locator. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, they wanted to create this um, destination this way for smaller brands to reach audience through online. So yeah, I just I, at the time I started just helping out because I was I liked making things. I liked the process of building. I grew up in a family where we did business brainstorms around the kitchen table. So I always saw the process of of building and creating a business as a form of play. Mm -hmm. And so really when we were starting Refinery, I was just doing it for fun on the side. I was still working at the magazine. I was basically, you know, on my lunch break, I would go out and like go to these different stores and talk to the owners and take pictures and then um, and like take street style around Soho. Yeah, I just got into it that way. And then um, once it started to become like more of a, a real thing, I took the plunge to join it um, you know, as my, my, well, I, I still did freelance mm -hmm. for the first two, I think years of, of kind of leaving the magazine and jumping into doing refinery more as a focus. And then a couple of years in, I was able to make it my full-time thing. That's awesome. I love that you really just were coming at it from a place of play and passion and having fun. And you weren't like, oh, let me think of the business that I can start that'll make the most money and that sort of thing. So yeah. that's really cool. And it was cool because, you know, at the time, like, I remember people saying we would never be successful because we were working with these small brands and they didn't have huge marketing budgets. Mm -hmm. um, but what happened was the, the, 
the people that we were working with were our first supporters. Our first advertiser was mm. a small store in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Our first investor was Stephen Allen, who had a you know bunch of different stores across the city. Oh yeah, that's and a big name. Yeah. So the, but they were the you know the the community that we were supporting in our early days also supported us back and allowed us to grow. It was a fun process. And what was that original fundraising process like? How did you lock in your first investor? Um, so, yeah, Stephen Allen was our first angel investor, and really, you know, it came organically. We were, um, you know, covering these independent boutiques, covering Stephen. Mm -hmm. um, we developed a relationship with him, and then um, when we wanted to get investment for a, a big launch that we were doing, we got in touch with him, and he, yeah, he was our first our first angel investor. Nice. And what would you say is the oh, moment? Sweating. I know. Sorry. <laughs> do, you, do you need a break? You no, okay? no, no, no. Okay. It's fine. Water? Would you like some water? Well, chug a lug. Yes. Bottoms yes. up, baby. Exactly. Can you tell me about what was the moment where Refinery29 really like blew up? Well, it was funny because about eight years in, we started to have a lot more momentum and also this the space like the space of digital media was heating up and we had been in it at that point for eight years so we were really um you know ahead of the curve and it was funny like eight years in people started saying to me like wow you just blew up you're an overnight success and like, I, I used to joke <laughs> i used to be like yeah it took us eight years to be an overnight success right exactly um i don't know it was a slow it was a slow process there was you know there's so many different like small milestones that mm -hmm felt like a big deal at the time, felt like we were making progress, but there wasn't really one moment, I would say, that was like, oh, we've done it. And when you're starting, when you're creating something, there's always more that you want to do. There's always like, I think that's like the balance is making sure that you celebrate the steps and enjoy the process, which is something I didn't always do that now I'm much more conscious about mm. um, because there's always more that you want to create or something that you're still trying to solve. And, uh, but yeah, we had a lot of moments along the way. I mean, I remember when we first launched our first, you know, our first day we had a feature in women's wear daily mm -hmm. and we uh, got, I think 5,000 visitors on our first day, which felt huge at the nice. time. Yeah. And we went out and had pizza at this bar in Brooklyn called union pool mm -hmm. um, and celebrated. And then two days later we realized that our traffic had tanked and that the whole, like what we had launched with was not going to work. And we <laughs> needed to basically rethink everything. Sounds about right. Yeah. Startup life. Yes. And you had this very cool title of executive creative director, right? Um, can you tell me what a day in the life was for you? My favorite parts of my job as executive creative director at Refinery was definitely, um, I loved leading. I loved inspiring the team. I loved brainstorming with the team, helping people to come up with their best ideas. Mm -hmm. um, I always saw leadership as the role of the host. Mm. I think people sort of think of a creative director and they think this is like this brilliant person with all the ideas and all the creativity. But I saw my role more as the role of the host. Like mm. how do I help other people to bring their best ideas to the table? How do I cultivate that kind of environment? How do I water those ideas? How do I you know, take the ideas that people come to me with and create the process to get those ideas to a great place to get them made. So I loved leading brainstorms. I loved workshopping ideas. 
you know, we built um, this huge experiential property called 29 Rooms mm -hmm. while I was there, and that whole process was so fun and so creative, and um, I loved collaborating with, um, you know, artists, designers, photographers to, you know, make incredible, unique images and, and storytelling. Um, yeah, and then, I mean, I also sat in, like, executive, you know, executive meetings, talking about the company, you know, met a lot with our commercial side of house, figuring out how we could, you know, take the things that we really wanted to do creatively and how could we partner with the business side to find the right sponsors, to find the right opportunities to build those things in collaboration with people and to bring in, you know, revenue through the um, creative ideas that we had. Nice. And obviously your role involved a lot of creativity, but what would you do when you were feeling blocked and you had to deliver on a deadline? Like how would you get yourself in flow again and just get the juices flowing? Everyone brings creativity to their job, whether they realize it or not. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think there's a unique challenge to people who, you know, need to come up with ideas every day or are really expected to bring that creativity to the table. It can feel like your well is empty, mm -hmm. um, even though creativity is a renewable resource. And really, you know, as Maya Angelou sa said, the more you use, the more you have. Mm -hmm. um, but it can be a lot of, it just puts a lot of pressure on your creativity when you work in a, in a role like that. So um, for me, it was really about recognizing the conditions for my creativity. Mm -hmm. I think so often when we get stuck, we focus on the deficit. We focus on that moment where we couldn't come up with the idea, where we just froze. And what I tried to do was to notice more what it felt like when I was in flow, what was going on, what were, mm -hmm. the, what were the things that helped me to be my most creative self. And so for me, that was really being around people that I felt comfortable with, that mm -hmm. I could joke with, that I could laugh with. And so when I was feeling stuck, like bringing, you know, just going around the office and going to chat with someone usually helped me. Um, I also realized that movement, like joyful movement, mm -hmm. is so important for me to to be creative. Like, I think creativity is so much more physical than we think. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, having a practice of movement in my life, but then also if I was feeling stuck, like actually just getting up and either walking around or if I'm home, I, I'll dance mm -hmm. um, for even just one song, like really helps me to get things moving. Um, I also think music can be huge for me yeah. for getting unstuck. So those are some of my tricks, but I, you know, I feel like when you follow the breadcrumb trail back from when you are really creative and really in flow, you can figure out what those things are for you so you can replicate them um, in, your own, in your own life, in your own patterns. Yeah, those are all great suggestions. And I love exercise too, because it just gets the blood flowing to your brain. So right. suddenly you're like, Mm, okay, things are coming to you that weren't before. Um, and then you mentioned having people around and community. And I know Refineries was known for building this great community. What do you think workplaces can do to foster connection between coworkers and just get that kind of sense of collaboration and community yeah. going? I think play was such a huge part of how I led at Refinery as well. Like I always tried to incorporate play into... Um, brainstorms into meetings um, and I think that it within organizations like putting more emphasis on play I see um, you know I do some consulting and some advising for people and it's 
you know, been really interesting to see sort of how other companies brainstorm. Mm -hmm. So often a brainstorm is just people sitting around a table and it's like, okay, what ideas do you have? Mm -hmm. Here's the problem. What ideas do you have? Mm -hmm. And there's no warm up. There's no like getting that creativity flowing in any way. And so I think that um, companies can really do more to foster that through being really intentional about incorporating elements of, of playfulness into just day-to-day life, like whether it's a funny, que- you know, a funny question that everyone answers or, um, you know, not everyone, not everywhere would be comfortable with, with this, but like some kind of dance, you know, dance break or playing, you know, playing a short game. Mm-hmm. I think that like that helps people, you know, play is a huge way to build trust and build connection, Mm, mm -hmm. Um, but it's so rarely utilized. That's a really good point, especially like nowadays, you know, with a lot of people working remotely and doing everything Mm -hmm. on Zoom, it's probably that much more important to like carve out time to say, let's make this playful. Let's start this off on a light note. Um, I like that. The hot seat is sponsored by the Edge Theory cold plunge tubs, which I love because we literally pop them up in our spa locations, pop them down. You don't need plumbing. It's super easy. So user friendly. And there's such a wide range of temperatures, which I think is one of the coolest things about it. It goes as cold as 37 degrees or as hot as 104 if you feel like having a hot tub after your cold plunge. Which we always do. (laughs) So use code HIREDOSE15 for 15% off. And we hope you check it out. Yeah, check it out on the hot seat. They're really cool looking too. You mentioned uh, your work on 29 Rooms. Can you tell me more about that and how you think it became such a big success and big line of business at Refinery? When we first started 29 Rooms, the brief that we got um, was, it was going to be our 10-year anniversary, mm-hmm. and the brief was, how can we bring our digital brand to life, IRL, mm-hmm. in real life, during Fashion Week? Mm-hmm. The creative process was, like, we started actually by by going down memory lane. Like, we asked, well, we started first by, we just kind of thought about, like, all the things that our brand was, the different topics that we covered editorially, the mm-hmm. values that we embodied, like, who our audience was, and mm-hmm. we kind of just, like, put that all out there, like, with sticky notes. Yeah. The next brainstorm was, like, okay... I want everyone to come with stories about a couple of super, super memorable events that you've been to in your life. And so that was the next one. Like people like people came and they talked about the um, Deutsche Gallery art parade and, you know, some wild party that they went to in deep Brooklyn. Like everyone kind of brought these different examples. Mm -hmm. And then like after that we kind of came up with this idea to create a space with you know 29 different rooms that brought to life the different topics that we covered in our content with incredible visionaries the type of people that we collaborated with like whether it was celebrities or artists or brands we um, wanted to like bring these ideas to life with all these different people that really were the people that bring our content to life every day we started describing it as like, we were like, it's going to be a fun house of style, culture, and creativity. Mm-hmm. And people were like, oh, sounds interesting. But like, it wasn't, even though people were like kind of into it, they like couldn't really get it. And, yeah. and then we kind of got stuck where I remember we were, you know, talking about if it was going to get greenlit. 
and someone in the room was like, mm, maybe we should just do a cocktail party. <laughs> right. <laughs> you Tri know, tried and true. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the brief was also do something disruptive. And then it was like, maybe we should just do a cocktail party. Um, but we ended up, you know, creating it. But I, I realized in the process that when I started to describe it with much more vividness, like painting a picture, mm -hmm. it started to really resonate with people. So I would, instead of saying it's going to be a fun house of style, culture, creativity, I would say, okay, you're going to show up at a warehouse in Greenpoint mm -hmm. and look around and be like, where am I? Yeah. Then you'll see a beautiful mural and you'll follow the mural to this lit up staircase and like you'll climb up the staircase and enter a 1960s waiting room where done sold. you know and like yeah. you know it was like right. and then you're gonna go through a through a glitter lips doorway into a lipstick mirror maze sponsored by you know charlotte tilbury uh -huh. and then into a vr room where you can travel to three different cities via the power of v you know vr and like you know and then then all of a sudden i have people like they're like sign me up where, where's my know. invite yeah. i want to you know i want to go and that um that was like a pivotal moment for me like realizing sort of how because sometimes as creatives we we're, we're there in our head like mm -hmm. I was in the space I was in the space in my head and my team was in the space in their heads but other people you need to like really walk people yeah into the world that you're imagining paint the picture you paint the picture yeah did you have um, any challenges when you guys were scaling 29 rooms and bringing it to different cities and getting yes. sponsors yeah I mean it was I, I think we the timing was you know really um, we and we had done some experiments before with um, like smaller scale versions. Like we had done this um, mini golf course that we worked we worked with like different fashion designers, and we did like each hole of the mini golf course was inspired by a different fashion designer. Mm -hmm. We had done that I think the, the year prior, so we had some experience with it. The first year was magical and chaotic because we just we'd never put anything on of that scale before um and so yeah we had tons of it was you know it was super challenging it was like both thrilling and mm -hmm. and challenging everyone kept saying how are we going to get people to go to greenpoint during fashion week so in our mm -hmm. minds we were like this is going to be hard to get people to mm -hmm. in reality we had this the opposite problem we had a we didn't do tickets and we had a line like wrapping the building oh um, good problem to have. It I was guess. a good problem, but I felt terrible that people were waiting like hours to right. get in. I actually like went to Dwayne Reed and got candy, and I was passing it out Aww. in line because I just felt, you know, I felt kind of bad that people were waiting so long because of our, you know, like it was one of those things you don't know what you don't know. Right. Um, and it's, you know, it's like a lot of people were like, oh, that's the stuff of legends. I was like, yeah, but it's not the best experience. But um, so it was kind of in the middle. And then, I mean, because. So we hit it like really also in a in a moment where I had been noticing like this trend of people kind of doing things for the gram, mm -hmm. like um, you know people being excited to like go to something because of the possibility to like capture beautiful content of themselves that they wouldn't otherwise like have access to like be you know being able to take a photo of themselves like in an you know an environment like that like as though they were in their own you know, music video right. or album, you know, album totally. cover. Totally, yep. So um, that was part of how we designed the experience. I mean, every every room had a deeper, like, had a message, had a meaning, had an artist, um, but we also very much designed it, like, aware of how people might be able to, like, put themselves into the, 
you know, into the room and take a great photo or video. And so Smart. Um, that first year we reached one in six people on Instagram. That's incredible. Yeah, at least that's what our data and insights team told me. I still find it hard. I am still like, how? <laughs> how is that possible? But um, I think you nailed it. Yeah, it was just like it was it was like at the right moment. And it, and it was amazing to see because we wanted to create this playground of creativity that our audience, you know, we wanted to give this gift to our audience of this uh -huh. event. And like, and so it was amazing to see people come and to like truly be like kids, you know, yeah. like having so much fun playing, like running around like gleefully. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, uh, like sharing so much from, from the space. So um, yeah. And then, you know, then we, it was such a big success that we decided to do the next year. It was also something that was a very, you know, unique offering for brands at the time, um, because what we did was we, um, we had, you know, we had a lot of editorial rooms, but I think the first year we had six branded rooms. So we cr we worked with the brand to create, you know, a an amazing, beautiful, thoughtful experience of their brand in a space and then the share you know the, the way people were sharing from the space was just so appealing to to brands so it was amazing we definitely so af over the course of five years we ended up like expanding it to seven different cities and you know which was incredible to be able to do but also cha also challenging to like replicate that level of like craft and experience like when you turn it into like a traveling circus totally um i can only imagine yeah well and you like while you guys were building i understand there were three other co-founders mm -hmm. so you had this like shared leadership model yeah what was that like um in terms of decision making getting consensus that sort of thing yeah i mean it, it's like being a founder can be really lonely so mm -hmm. it was nice to have um you know, yeah, four of us to kind of bounce things off of and to support each other and to build to build with. Mm -hmm. um, and we all had our different, we kind of each had our different area that we focused on. Um, so I feel like our, you know, individual strengths and our background complemented each other to, to create this whole. That's good that you guys had complementary skill sets. Yeah. And one of the other co-founders is your partner, yeah. correct? Yeah. So what what was that like running a company with your partner? Well, it's funny because like that was just what we knew because we started the company like pretty soon after we met. Oh wow! Um, so it was a huge part of our relationship was like that partnership. I mean, it's kind of amazing because we have so much experience being partners in different ways that like now as co-parents we like. I feel like we have like a different foundation uh -huh. because we spent so many years like in partnership and it was also really special to get to see, you know, for my partner to see me in action in this professional space, to see me grow in this professional mm -hmm. space and for me to see him grow um, was, was really nice because I feel like so often, you know, a partner's like professional life is something that you you know, you might hear of like in the triumphs and you might hear of like when they're, you know, it's not going so well, mm -hmm. but you don't actually get to see in action. So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, also it's so challenging. Like I'm, I'm a, like, I'm like a happy person in the morning. Like I'm not 
like I wouldn't say I'm not a morning person, but I would not say that I want to work like the moment I wake up. Right. And I'm like very much like a night person. Like I wake up at three thirty in the morning with ideas. Oh, I have wow. to get up and write them down. It's my very annoying process. Uh-huh. Um, and my partner's the opposite. Like he wakes up and he like wants to like he like immediately is like his mind is the sharpest and he wants to like just like work. So that was like always really funny because it would be, you know, seven a.m. And I just want to have my coffee. And he's like, will you look at the board deck with me? And I was just like, oh. You're like, whoa. No. And like, me and, in two hours. Yeah, exactly. And vice versa. Like, he'd be like ready to go to bed. And I would be like bouncing off the wall with like ideas and like stuff that I wanted to talk about. Um, so it was funny. It was funny because we're so opposites in that way. So lunch was a good time for you guys. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you both became parents while you were at Refinery. Yeah. What was that journey like for you? Yeah. I mean, it was towards the end. Um, like, we, I mean, it was... It was kind of challenging, honestly. Yeah. Um, well, I think I, at the time, I I now have, like, a very strong self-compassion practice. Uh-huh. But at the time when I was, I mean, in the 15 years that I was doing refinery, I was the opposite. I was so hard on myself. Mm. My self-critic was so harsh. And I also, I... I thought that that was what made me motivated, that that was what made me good at my job. And so many people reinforced that, too. Like, people would be like, oh, wow, you're so hard on yourself. But that's what makes you great. Oh, uh-huh. And so I truly believe that, but it also, I mean, it had such a toll. Like, I just feel like I was eating myself alive so mm. much. And also, like, it was so depleting. And I feel like I had these, like, moments of, like, total, like, depletion. You know, that was really challenging. When I had my daughter... I had this horrible mantra, which was, don't blame it on the baby. Because I believed that I should be able to do everything that I was doing before mm-hmm. at work. Um, you know, because it's like comparing your insides to someone else's outsides. Like, I had, I felt there was, like, other people on my team that had kids that I thought were just, like, you know, so devoted and doing such a good job that I was like, this shouldn't affect like your capacity to to work and the first year that I had my daughter I went on I think 30 business trips oh my goodness and I was hospitalized (sighs) from like I got a kidney stone but it was really because I wasn't in touch with my body I wasn't taking care of myself yeah and yeah it was really it was really challenging and it was also like a huge wake-up call for me yeah because I on two levels like one when I got hospitalized and I realized how out of touch I was with myself and like because I was just I had this huge kidney stone and I was in pain but I was just powering through I was like going it was like at work like hunched over like by the water cooler and our creative director came and she was like P you don't look so good and I was like yeah I was like I think there's something wrong but I'm fine I'll be fine Mm -hmm. you know and then like the next day I was like you know hospitalized I had to get two surgeries and it just was like it was just really like oh wow I need to get so much more in touch with myself and um and then on the other side I was like looking at my daughter and you know from the moment she was born I was like oh my god look at this perfect creature look at this perfect person and all of us are so perfect and yet we like we don't believe that like fundamentally it's so hard for us to love ourselves and how am I going to teach her to Uh love if I can't love myself (sighs) anyway so like this but this moment like kind of happened at work 
but it was also like I had already had started to have that thinking of like you know what this is something I need to address and so Mm -hmm. that was like really a wake-up call for me of like oh I need to work on this such a profound uh, message boy I'm I've got to take this off a little bit yeah 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 yeah. (sighs) show some shoulder yes exactly so tell me about uh what happened after you left refinery yeah it was I mean it was very disorienting because I left during the pandemic at the end of 2020. Oh, so wow. my team had a beautiful going away for me where they read me these love letters and we cried and it was disorienting because I was ending this 15 year chapter of my life mm-hmm. like with a party on Zoom and then I closed the laptop and that was it. That 15 year chapter was done wow. and I was like popped out in a pandemic without the sense of like celebration and community that I would have otherwise had. And it was also really interesting because for 15 years, I was, you know, always got introduced as Piera from Refinery29. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's so uh, dangerous to identify so, to like have your identity so connected to something that's outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, it was really freeing to like suddenly just be Piera. Yeah. Like I could just be Piera. I mean, it was disorienting, but it was also amazing to be, like, released of that, like, identity connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I knew, like, I didn't know what I was going to do next. Um, I had invested so much time and energy into building Refinery till, you know, and I, and, and I was, like, invested till the day I left. Yeah, wow. And so I knew I needed, I knew I was going to need a bridge to take me from that you know, that 15-year chapter into this unknown future. And at the time, my friend Debbie Atias, who um, is a really old friend of mine, I used to, like, I've just known, I know, I've known her for a really long time, and she is a musician, um, an artist, and also a healer. Mm-hmm. And she created this incredible form of cathartic dance called Dancercism, mm. which is, like, as, as it sounds, it's, like, just so cathartic and releasing, but it's also playful and fun. Anyway, she was doing her first training um, where she was training teachers for dancercism. Mm-hmm. And it coincided like perfectly with when I was leaving and I just decided to sign up. Even though I didn't imagine that I would be a teacher, I just thought like this would be a great experience for me to t- learn something new, mm-hmm. to connect to myself. And it was so it was such a transformative experience to do the training. And to connect so much more with, like, the wisdom of my body, mm-hmm. with the, like, the joy and creativity of movement, especially yeah. in that time that was so scary and isolating, also to be connected to the other people that were in the teacher training who were, like, in all different countries. When the training ended to get certified, we had to teach a class. And so I did this friends and family class, and I felt so like in alignment, like I hadn't in a really, really long time. And I decided that I was going to open it up. Like I got my, my friends and family that took it were like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know how much I needed that. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. That was like, you were so in your element. And so I decided to open it up and I just put it out on Instagram. I said, you know, I'm te- I, I got trained in this form of like cathartic dance. Mm-hmm. If anyone wants to take it, like just DM me. Like, not thinking, yeah. like, I was just like, DM me. Yeah. 
And then the next thing I knew, I had hundreds of DMs. I was like wow. responding, getting people's emails. Like it was the most inefficient process ever. But I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got and I and I started and I just started teaching. Like I and I ended up teaching three times a week to people for free all around the world for from like the end of 2020 until the summer of 2021. And it was like one of the most powerful, meaningful experiences of my life. Wow. Which was wild to have like during that, that time. Totally. But yeah, it was just having, you know, people join from all over the world. We had, you know, this like amazing dance community and like what it brought out of me and what it brought out of other people was so um, transformative. Just that power of movement and play to unlock creativity, to help us to feel connected to each other and to, you know, release so much of the stress that we carry around day to day. For sure. And how does it work? And can you demonstrate it in the sauna? Is that practical? Oh, well, I, um, I guess we could do something. Okay. So, um, so Debbie designed it. It's, it's, it's based on a lot of different things. It's like, um, yeah, she like a lot of different healing modalities that she's been trained in, but um, it's largely connected to the chakras. So okay. um, as you it's an hour long experience. And okay. as you go through, you're doing dances that are connected to the chakras and like um, selecting music that's connected to that as well. So nice. like for the root chakra, we're like feeling our feet on the ground. We're stomping our feet like I'll have everyone make like monster face. Um, and like scream, I have people scream, I have people like release fear, you know, like throw fear and like do all of these, you know, do all of these like movements to like kind of release fear and to then like feel secure. Mm. Um, so like we go and so we go up all the, all the chakras and then like I do these like visual, like dance visualizations and then it ends with like laying on the floor and doing like meditation. But it's very cathartic it's very cathartic but you know it's also very playful Mm -hmm. like you know if you're if you're having fun you're doing it right is the the mantra the mantra Mantra. yeah mantra mantra tomato tomato tomato. tomato. jinx we're having fun yeah and you also founded wild things world yes can you tell me about that yes so coming so like i was doing dancercism and i was i i already had this practice of play in how I led at Refinery and also in a lot of the experiences that we created at mm-hmm. Refinery, um, especially 29 Rooms was this this playground and it was incredible to see sort of like what happened when you let people's like inner child like come out to play and to and to just have that freedom and that space. Um, so then, then I'm teaching dancercism and I'm like, oh my gosh, wow, this is like this playful spirit is so powerful for people and giving people the space to express themselves and express their creativity without having to be good, without having to like be on beat, you know? So many people are so intimidated to dance as well. Like there, a lot of people were like, oh, I only dance when I'm drunk. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, that was like, you know, for a lot of people that's a very vulnerable experience. So like, anyway, I was, yeah, so I was, um, I had this practice of play within my leadership at Refinery, within the experiences we were creating at Refinery, I saw the power of play in action with dancercism, and I realized that I wanted, in whatever I did next, I wanted to create space for adults to play more and explore their creativity. 
Um, and I also realized that play is a missing pillar of wellness. Mm -hmm. You know, we think about wellness on like the kind of six core areas, but play and creativity isn't usually considered within that. And for me, my like my spirituality is very much tied to play, movement, and creativity. Um, so I wanted to create yeah space for people to to play and to not have to be good at something and just explore and experiment. So yeah, I founded Wild Things World. Um, and because the spirit of it is, exper you know, to give people space to experiment, mm -hmm. I um, I just like decided to put it out there and without a business plan, without a website. Like I just, like last May, I was just like, here's my idea. I don't know where it's gonna go, but I'm gonna start experimenting and playing out loud with it. So, yeah, it's been like a fun journey the last, what, nine months, mm. um, just putting it out there and starting to experiment and, and see what happens. And where can people engage with Wild Things World? So we do, um, we do virtual play breaks. Mm -hmm. So um, they're like workshops where you can come and, and we do drawing, we do storytelling, we do dance we do wordplay mm -hmm. um and yeah it's like a, I, I wanted to i was thinking about like what's the what's the soul cycle of play like how do i create a structure that people are familiar with um where we can but where we can put in like different instructors where we can put in different music where we can put in different play forms mm -hmm. um so that's what we do with our virtual sessions then we do um in-person events mm -hmm. um and then my my dream, what I'm working on right now, is creating play products. So, so products that help people to um, play both by themselves and also with the people around them. So kits, workbooks, um, and then later this year we're going to be doing our first play camp. So um, creating an experience where people can come together and really try all these different forms of like play and creativity um, in community with other playful spirits. Nice. And what are your favorite places to have creative play dates in NYC? Ooh, great question. Um, well, the sauna at I higher mean, dose. There you go. Um, I love forward space. It's really fun. Mm -hmm. um, I other places to have play dates. I mean, honestly, I do this thing called one, I go on wonder walks. So I like, especially if I'm feeling in a funk, I basically just try and tune my frequency to awe and wonder. I'm like, I'm going on a wonder walk. And so I just walk around the city and I try to notice things that are like delightful basically, mm -hmm. um, or interesting. So I'll like, you know, and and I look for I look for I look for signs too. Like I'll kind of try and like almost like it's a scavenger hunt. Um, so I just like to go on ambling walks in New York City and find the find the delight, the wonder um, around me. I love that too. The whole place is like a playground. Yeah. Right? So and it's wild when you like tune yourself to wonder. Like, I'll find a magic wand, like, truly. Like, I went out the other day, and I just was like, I'm tuning myself to wonder. And then I was like, here's a magic wand. Um, I'm going to try that. Yeah. And be like, oh, it's a wizard. Yeah. yeah. Did you know, here's a fun fact about me. Huh. I found three messages in a bottle in my life. That's, um, wow. <laughs> that is unusual, I would say, to say the least. Yeah. So, 
Well, thank you so much for being here today. It was such a pleasure to get to know you, and I definitely feel inspired to tap into my playful side. Yeah. So hopefully everybody listening Let's play. does too. <laughs> All right. Thank Thanks you. for getting me high. Oh, anytime. <laughs> you know where to come. <laughs> I do.